Welcome, I'm Ryan Hicks, and this is Modern Business, the podcast to learn from franchise business leaders and explore new business technology. Our community is about sharing knowledge and tools that help us achieve our goals in business and beyond. Thanks for being here, and welcome to Modern Business. Hey, welcome back to Modern Business Podcast, the podcast to meet dynamic franchise founders and leaders. So now for the guest, it is my pleasure to introduce a gentleman today who has founded a brand that I'm sure everyone in the audience will know. He's a serial entrepreneur known for pioneering the professional junk hauling industry with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Since conquering that market, he's gone on to apply his O2E formula, which stands for ordinary to exceptional, to a bunch of different industries, painting, um, moving, um, and home detailing industry. Those companies are Wow One Day Painting, You Move Me, and Shack Shine. Mr. Brian Scudamore, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to Modern Business Podcast. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Glad to be here. I'm very glad as well. So today I want to have you tell some stories. We're going to go into some story time uh, from uh, that you've shared in your book and beyond. Your, your new book, by the way, congratulations. I know a lot of work goes into that. Um, it's titled WTF, which is Willing to Fail, and it's How Failure Can Be Your Key to Success. So before we have that story time, I want to learn a little bit about your roots. And Brian, I've read that kind of early on, you were influenced by, I think you read uh, one of Ray Kroc's book. I've read that book as well, by the way, it's a good book. And this kind of the story of McDonald's and that kind of early on influenced you or made an impact. Can you tell us about your early years and maybe share some insight into what led you to have a love of franchising and the franchise business model? Absolutely. So I'll give you a little bit of my background and my founder's story, but I will start by saying After 30 years of building a business and building a franchise model, nothing gets me more excited than watching other people fulfill their founder's story or create their founder's story. So we have over 250 franchise partners across all of our O2E brands. And it's just, it's awesome. I never thought I would enjoy as much as I do watching others take our systems and processes and grow. So everything we put in place for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, watching them use those as, as levers to build something special and to fit with our whole philosophy of building something bigger and better together. So it, it started, while I say bigger and better together, it started alone. I was uh, very lonely. I was right out of high school, one course short of graduation. All of my friends were headed off to college. Because I didn't have a high school diploma, I couldn't go to college and didn't really know what to do and had a bit of FOMO, fear of missing out. Yep. And uh, there I was one day in a McDonald's drive through contemplating my future. And I thought, I need to at least start with a job. If I'm going to do anything about college, I, I need the money to pay for it. My parents weren't about to give me any money being a high school dropout. So I'm in this McDonald's drive through I see a beat-up old pickup truck in front of me, plywood side panels built on the box. It said Mark's Hauling on the side. And I literally went out the next day and bought a truck for 700 bucks, built the plywood sides and started doing what Mark was doing, driving down alleys and laneways. If someone had a pile of junk, I'd introduce myself and offer to haul it away for a fee. And that basic business model became the Rubbish Boys was the, the early name. It was really just me, but I had a vision for something bigger, hence the name, and started to build a business, which I was learning more about business 
running a company versus studying business in school and made the bold decision to drop out and pour all my time and energy into building the business versus studying. Yep. Love it. So where was that at, by the way? Where where were you born and raised and where did you go into college at? Well, so I was born and raised in uh, San Francisco. So I was born an American. I am now uh, a Canadian living in Vancouver. My mother remarried. We moved to Canada when I was about eight years old. And I went to the University of British Columbia uh, amongst a, a bunch of other schools. And so, you know, I, I didn't tell you there in my little story of I didn't finish high school. All my friends were going to college. How was I? How did I make that happen? As an entrepreneur, I think we're great salespeople. And mm-hmm. I went to the admissions office of the, <laughs> the college and I begged them. And three times I went for visits and finally convinced them that they should give me a chance, even without a high school diploma and uh, the rest is history. But, you know, ironically, I, I, I learned so much about business that a year left in my degree, I dropped out. And I said previously, I made the bold decision to drop out. I think I was scared of my father, who was a liver transplant surgeon, mm-hmm. and what he would say to his oldest son when he heard, hey, you know, guess what? I'm leaving school to become a full-time junk man. And he certainly didn't agree with the decision then, but years later watching the success we've had, he's uh, he's on side in the fan for sure. Yeah, and I imagine that as you, so awesome business model, and sometimes it's the simple things that work the best. It's like, I'm going to go haul this away for a fee and you have, have this epiphany. You went out, you started hustling, Obviously, you you had to go put in a lot of work and energy. Then you decided to go franchise the business, and you experienced explosive growth. Were there? I don't I don't know um, I don't know some of the story of those early years, but were there some folks along the way that that helped you in franchising, or did you guys just kind of kind of figure it out on your own? Well, it's interesting. So it took me eight years to build the business up to a million in revenue, so quite slow. But when I got to a million, I started to think, you know, my business is looking, feeling, and acting so much like a franchise. I had put all these systems and processes in place where it started to look like it was a, there was almost a recipe book, an operations manual that told everyone in my company how to build and grow this business. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at the franchise model, inspired by what Ray Kroc, as you mentioned, built with McDonald's. People had skin in the game, and I liked that, rather than them just being hired managers. And so I chose that as my model and I went out and hired consultants and I found mentors and I found that nobody was giving me a recipe for franchising that I liked or agreed with. Mm -hmm. I found that it was too much about how people would tell franchise owners what to do versus being a partnership. We actually call our franchise owners franchise partners. We depend on them. They depend on us and together we can build something successful. So I got out and invented the model with a team of people that we brought in internally that had zero franchise experience. We started to invent how we wanted to build our own version of franchising, taking care of people, finding the right people, treating them right. Now, you know, these were learned in in various ways from mistakes I made. You talked about the book, WTF, Willing to Fail. I see failure as a gift. I see every failure I've ever had as a stepping stone to a a greater place in life, a greater place in business. So when I look at something like um, 1994, five years into the business, I had 11 employees. And what do they say about one bad apple spoils the whole bunch? 
I had at least nine bad apples and I made the tough decision to get rid of all 11 people. Fired my entire company one morning and started with the words, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I let you down, didn't give you the love and support you needed to be successful. I might not have had the clean cut professional people that I saw in my mind that I needed to build my company with. And so I started again. But it taught me the valuable lesson that a company really is only as strong as the people you put in place and the culture that you build to support those people. So I had to reinvent my company before I had even started the franchise. And that gave me a sense of how I wanted to create a franchise program for the entrepreneurs within our O2E Brands family. Got it. So tell us a little bit more about that O2E philosophy um, and what, share again what O2E stands for and, and some of the operational philosophy. Because obviously you are, you are doing something very successful with O2E brands and you have multiple brands, as I referenced earlier. What is, kind of, what is the core of that philosophy and how are you building the, you know, the unique culture that you've built today? So O2E stands for Ordinary to Exceptional something that guided us for years in our 1-800-GOT-JUNK, the the junk removal business, was we are making the ordinary business of junk removal exceptional. Exceptional through customer experience, through finding great people and, and helping them be more successful. We took that same sort of mission or purpose and parlayed it into three other brands. So you listed some of them. I won't list them all again, but wow, one day painting. We go in and we paint someone's home in a day. We franchise the business. We've got over 50 franchise owners. We've taken a system where a very ordinary world of painting someone's home, we've made it exceptional by saying, we'll paint it in a day without any compromise on quality, the same price. It's just our systems and our processes of almost flash mobbing someone's house. We get it done in, uh, in the same, uh, in, in one day versus two weeks and having the move, having the, uh, painters feel like they're moving in. And so for us, it's taking ordinary people that might dream of entrepreneurship but have never had an opportunity and helping them build on our O2E platform. That's what, you know, gets me up in the morning. And that's what's really um, been the basis for, you know, 1-800-GOT-JUNK we sold out years ago, a decade ago. But to be able to then go start other brands and to build a $444 million business, which is where we're trending for 2019, feels awesome, feels exciting. Because again, I, I, you know, I said it before, building something bigger and better together. I've never wanted to be someone building something alone. And that's the, uh, the joy behind everything I do. Man, what a great, simple philosophy, but it is at the core of, it's at the core of the type of folks that you want in your system that identify with not being ordinary. And it's, it's, it's very solid. Um, there's a lot of folks in the audience because I think you bring a level of experience and expertise that um, some folks that we've interviewed and other people that I know that listen to the show. How do you decide and when do you decide to make the jump to multi-brand operation? So you you mentioned that you sold out and you had awarded all the territories for 1-800-GOT-JUNK. So for you, that's very natural to jump into um you know, to, to launch another brand. Other folks do it successfully and un- unsuccessfully earlier on. What are, your, some of, what are some of your thoughts and ideas on that and, and how to approach it? I think most people do it too, too soon. We waited 22 years before we added the second brand, which was about 
five or six years after selling out with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. The reason we waited is we preach the importance of focus to our franchise owners. We want them to be hardcore focused on their own business, not running a job while they're trying to run a company, not being a consultant on the side. And so we had to swallow our own medicine, which was really, hey, listen, let's focus on 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Let's get a president in place. Let's get the business in a really smooth uh, place. This was post the economic economic, uh, meltdown of 2007, 2008. We said, we got to make sure things are stable before we start another brand. And when we were ready, it was, wow, one day painting, and then you move me, and then shop shine. And so now, in the same way that you can scale a franchise organization, layering on more franchise partners, it's easier to train the 10th partner or the 100th partner than it is the first few. And we're finding the same sort of thing with adding new brands. Love it. I want to transition now. Let's talk about the book. Um, you, you've, you've written an awesome book you've done. I think, I think it was about six months ago when you published it. Um, give us a quick, quick snapshot as to why you wrote the book. And then I want to dig into a few of the stories, a couple you've already alluded to. Um, but why did you write the book? Well, it's interesting. I did not want to write a book. I pushed back hard with my co-author, Roy Williams. Roy Williams is also known as the wizard of ads. He's the guy, the genius behind all of our marketing, uh, our radio ads. Mm. And he's a great friend and a great mentor. And so Roy, every year we'd fly down to Austin and get some discussions going on the new creative campaigns. And he'd always say, Brian, you got to write a book. And every year I'd say, I don't want to write a book. And finally he pushed me a little harder. And I said, Roy, listen, I don't want to write a book. My ego doesn't need a book. I know a lot of entrepreneurs like to write a book about their story. I don't see it as my story. It's our story, and I just don't know if I want to do it. And he said, you're missing the point. This isn't about you. This book is about those who you will inspire with the stories you guys have created together. And he said, you need to write the book. I'll make it easy. And uh, so my next visit to Austin He mic'd me up. We spent 10 hours just talking back and forth, reminiscing about the old days and pulling stories out. And we had a massive transcript as the starting point to he and I working back and forth on on creating the book. So in the end, Roy was right. uh, And I've gotten to know him over the years and he's always right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I've received hundreds of emails from people saying, you know what, this has inspired this has taught me something. Here's a big lesson I pulled out of this, whatever the case might be. And, you know, if it's someone that goes and starts their own business and we never hear from them, but the book's made an impact, awesome. If they join our O2E brands in some capacity, as a franchise owner, as an employee, that's awesome too. So I think I've realized the hard work was clearly worth it in creating a platform for sharing the failures we've had and the lessons we've learned from each one of them. Love it. And, and, uh, we'll link to Roy if he, if, if he does that more, by the way, I'll grab a link and we'll share that in the show notes. Um, if it's not something that he does outside of what he did with you, that's cool too. But, uh, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't know if he's writing books with people. Uh, he's a pretty busy guy, but he's certainly, if you search Roy H Williams and the, uh, the, the, uh, Wizard Academy, you know, you'll certainly find that there's, you can see all the things that he does. He's a big radio creative guy and radio purchasing. That would be one of the biggest areas that Roy specializes in today. I've heard, uh, I've heard, definitely heard some of his ads and some of your ads early on 
as, as I was growing up. Um, I wanted you mentioned a story you dro- dropping out of school and and telling telling your dad that you're going to be a, a full time junk man. And then the second one that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I think you referenced that in the book. The second one was firing all 11 of your employees. And I think that that's mm-hmm. a that's a topic that resonates with a lot of people. And that's that's a very extreme version of of, you know, going about some tough decisions as you're trying to grow the business and, and realizing that you want to get to the next level and maybe I don't have the right people to go to, to do that mm-hmm. with. And so just share some of your advice on that topic. I mean, I think you have an extreme example here, but give entrepreneurs that are listening and executives that are listening some advice on that and also share some mm-hmm. more context of that story if you think it'll be helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had these 11 people that, again, nine were bad apples in my mind. I had to take responsibility. This was the biggest leadership lesson uh, that I think I ever faced, where I realized that I didn't hire the right people. I didn't train them and give them the love, the support that they needed to be successful. I didn't believe in them, and they probably, I'm sure, didn't believe in me. And I had to make a, a rash decision. And while it was tough, because I went from half a million in sales and five trucks down to driving just one truck the next day and canceling all the rest of the jobs because that's Mm. all I could handle. So it was painful and it took me three to six months. I don't even remember exactly because it was a tough time to, to rebuild the business. But that very next day I said, you know, I am going to, from this point on forever find the right people. I'm going to pick winners. I'm going to pick clean cut professional, happy people. That's one of the biggest things we look for is just hiring happy people. Mm. It's simple and it works for us. We have a positive, optimistic culture. And I didn't want people complaining like the ones I had and people that were bringing me down. And it was just time for a change. Now, we have a franchise partner in our system in Philadelphia, Alan Reamer, great friend of mine, longtime partner. And I remember he called me up one, uh, one time years ago. And he goes, Brian, you know what? I do not like my team. I've got the wrong people. And I said, well, they probably don't like you either. What are you going to do about it? And he, I told him the story about what I did and, and firing all 11 people. And he calls me back a couple of days later and he goes, I did it. And I said, did what? And he goes, I fired my whole team. And I'm like, it was just a story to share as a lesson learned. I, didn't, I wasn't telling you to go do the same thing. And it's funny because he came back years later. We've talked about it a ton, that that was the best thing he did. So again, it's extreme. I'm not recommending that everybody go out and do that same thing, but sometimes things are beyond repair. And let's face it, for myself as a leader or for Alan Reamer as the leader, we were the problem. This was nothing for us to complain about. This was nothing, somewhat, something uh, that someone did to us. This was our own doing, and that's how we both solved it, was starting again and paying extra attention to the types of people we brought on board. You know, even today, uh, another story is, we use something, people say, how do you find great people? And we do something we call the beer and barbecue test. Mm. It's not literally feeding people beer in an interview, but what we say to people is, if you're interviewing someone, ask yourself the beer test. Could you see having a beer or a cup of coffee or whatever with this person? Are they interesting, interested? Do they have a shared passion in life? Could you see enjoying their company? Because so much of working with other people is having fun and having a connection. And then the barbecue test is, how would they fit in a company barbecue? Can you see them interacting and mingling and fitting in with the excitement of the team? We're not all extroverts. We're not all introverts. It's a good mix and diverse group here. But it is finding people that fit 
that barbecue test where you just go, yeah, I can totally see them being in this O2E Brands family. Great, great, great advice. Again, sometimes it's the simplest things that work the best. The beer and barbecue test is phenomenal advice. Hire happy, uh, hire generally happy, positive people. That's another, like, it seems obvious, but, you know, from there, that's kind of where everything else flows out of. If you have, you're going to have a not, if you're, if you're going to have a culture of, you know, positivity and striving towards common goals and all the rest, you need to have a team that, that buys in and, and your advice is spot on. Um, yeah. And you, and you know, Ryan, it's, while it's such a simple thing, I think the power for people that use these types of things and Hey, someone wants to borrow the beer and barbecue t- test, go for it. But the key is consistently or consistency, consistently using the tools that you put out there in your business. And so we, you know, if someone doesn't pass the beer test, we teach people, don't compromise. It's not worth it. I know you need someone in that seat right now, but keep looking. Love it. Thank you very much for sharing that with the audience. Another thing I want to talk about is something that I'm super interested in hearing. So you, I think I read that you had a story of sharing you're on your parents' dock and you literally created what you call a, a, a painted picture. Could you share us share with us what that was about and what that is. Of course. So painted picture. I am at a a million in revenue, eight years in the business. I am feeling a little down and depressed. I'm feeling like I'm comparing myself to other entrepreneurs. There's an association that I joined that I'm still a member of today, which is hugely impactful called EO, the Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurs Organization. So I joined EO and I started going, wow, there's guys there with $10 million businesses and $100 million businesses. And there's men and women doing way better things than I am. And I was comparing myself to them and feeling down. So EO teaches you when you want to solve a problem, go somewhere creative. So I go to my parents' summer cottage on the water and I sit down on the dock and I pull out a sheet of paper and I go, okay, my little million dollar business, stop thinking pessimistically, be an optimist. And I started to write down what the future could look like Mm -hmm. that I could just try and imagine in my head. And I created what I called my painted picture. I wrote out, if they say a picture describes a thousand words, my words went down on on one page double-sided. And it said things like, we will be in the top 30 metros in North America by the end of 2003, which was five years out. We'd We'd be on the Oprah Winfrey show. We'd be the FedEx of junk removal. And I started envisioning things that seemed absolutely crazy to most people, but I could see them. I started to believe in them, and it was taking that picture. Once I read it for the first time, right after writing it, I said, wow, I can actually see this. I can feel it. I'm going to make this happen. So I started. I took my painted picture, and I started to share it with others around me. And I found that people who were uh, employees, it did one of two things. It separated people into one group where they said, um, you know, uh, Brian, I think you're smoking some hope dope here and this sounds like crazy stuff and I don't see this happening and they ultimately left the business. Or there was the other half who said, wow, this is compelling. This is exciting stuff and I want to be a part of it. And so it became our guiding star, if you will, of where we were going to grow the business. I think you kind of answered the follow-up question that I have, but I'd, I'd like you to maybe share it in a different light. It's like, how do you balance? And even, even internally, so you have this vision 
and you, you're, you get in this creative space, you put down these words, these ideas, and you're feeling it and you put this, you know, you commit this to paper and you paint this picture. How do you balance, you know, whenever, whenever things get tough, um, I, I definitely get sharing it with people and kind of let people self-select out. I think that's kind of critical to building what I call your tribe. But how do you balance the internal dialogue of, of you know, you questioning yourself and, and in the tough moments when you have to make those tough decisions, you're looking at this picture and it just feels like, well, shit, I don't know if I can get there. But how, how do you balance yeah, I mean, that? So a painted picture serves as a tool for not just yourself, but your team. We're building something bigger and better together. And the value in the painted picture is your team will also help keep you going. So what, what I found happened with our painted picture is in 2003, we said we'd be in the top 30 metros. Mm. 90 days prior to that period, we were at 28. Lori Baggio, who was doing our franchise development and finding partners for us, says, Brian, we're only at 28 of 30. We're missing Pittsburgh. We're missing Milwaukee, two remaining cities. What are we going to do? And he and I sat down with the team. We built a plan. We started getting PR in those cities. We started cold calling and networking, and we made it happen. So while, Ryan, you say that the painted picture can be something where you go, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this anymore, you have to always believe, but it isn't going to be you always having to be the cheerleader. It'll be the people that you've recruited as the followers, as the people that will help follow your lead and build something with you who will sometimes prop you up. And you you got to know when you write a painted picture that there will be moments of doubt. That is a normal part of the process. You come up with a big dream. It's not a, a slam dunk or a cakewalk. There's going to be things that you're going to, to question. And, you know, for greater clarity, too, if, if anyone goes, okay, this whole painted picture thing, I don't totally get it. I wrote an article on it. I've, I'm happy to share both that and uh, a copy of our painted picture so you can understand what these visions look like. If any one of your audience uh, members want to just reach out and send me an Instagram at Brian Scudamore, I am happy to uh, just say painted picture, please. And I'll fire you off a copy to both the article and an example of a painted picture and, um, you know, take what you can out of it. And hopefully it inspires you to create a vision of your own. Perfect. Because my next question was going to be how to go about that. So folks in the audience, reach out. We will link to your Instagram handle and love it, man. I, I'm an, I'll reach out as well. I can't wait to get the, sure. get the picture. Uh, I think kind of along the same vein, tell us about the importance of asking, can you imagine? Yeah, so it's interesting. Cameron Harold, great friend of mine. He was my COO from $2 million to $106 million in revenue. Uh, when the day I had to fire my best friend, which is talked about in the book, is a very tough uh, decision. We were two fire-ready aim types building this company that once it got over $100 million, things were starting to break and, and we needed more rigor and discipline uh, and had to find someone else to take that, take that challenge. Now, fortunately, Cameron and I have repaired that relationship and, and we're great friends. And he would tell you, if he was on your podcast, that it was the best thing for both the company and, and both of us. Um, but when Cameron was around, he would say, okay, Brian's vision, his painted picture, let's go make this happen. He goes, Brian's the visionary. I'm the executor. I'm putting the plans in place and making it happen. He said, I can't see in vision. And I said, sure you can. Everybody can imagine what the future looks like if they're asked the right questions. So we put a big 
decal, if you will, on the wall, and it said, can you imagine? A big empty wall in the office. I wanted to inspire people to think what could they imagine for themselves or within the company. So a couple of weeks later, I put on there, can you imagine being featured on the Oprah Winfrey show with my name below it? Mm. That was my own goal or vision of something I saw in the future. Cameron put up there, can you imagine being featured in a Harvard, uh, Harvard case study? Check. It actually did end up happening because Cameron saw the idea. Someone else said, can you imagine being on the Starbucks cup, having our uh, brand on the side of a Starbucks cup? And years ago, they used to have this thing called the Way I See It campaign, and they'd have authors and famous people with, with quotes. And they put a quote from me saying, you are what you can't let go of. Uh, spoiler alert, they helped us uh, write that quote, but you know it had my name below it, which uh, was less important than seeing 1-800-GOT-JUNK on, uh, on the cup. So Can You Imagine was a way for us to inspire other people to think big, to dream, to come up with big, bold ideas. And when you put them permanently on a wall in a, in a decal or decal, that helps others see them and go, wow, I can help with that. I've got some ideas on how to make that happen. Love it, man. Um, as we kind of move to close, we've talked about the book. We've shared some ideas and stories for the book. By the way, if you're listening, go get the book. Uh, we will, at the end, share how and where you can do that. We'll also link to it. Um, we should also do I'll, – I'll buy a few books if you go do the comment on the Facebook post, and I'll give some of those away, by the way. Uh, just throw that out awesome. there. But the, the philosophy of being willing to fail, you've touched on it and kind of what it can do for your life, that it's something that we read about, we see it, we hear it, and yes, that sounds great, but when you're in the throes of failure, it's tough to kind of see past that. So could you just give the audience a little um, pep talk and just like a, a glimpse into the lens of how you look at being willing to fail, since it's obviously the title of the book. So tell us a little bit mm -hmm. more about that and share some in insight. I'll tell you where WTF, Willing to Fail, came from. Roy, my co-author, we're sitting there writing the book, and I kept saying to him, we need a title, we need a title. He's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. The title will come from the book once we're done the book. And that, you know, as a branding guy who's created Shack Shine and 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I love brands, I love naming things first. I was uncomfortable with that. But mm -hmm. I trusted Roy. He's generally been right. So uh, <laughs> we write the book, we close it off. And I started looking through and I saw all these patterns of failure after failure after failure. All of my stories were failures that then turned into bigger, better things. And so I realized I've had this willing to fail attitude all my life where I'm not so scared to make a mistake because if you allow it, if you allow failure to be a gift, there's a lesson there each and every time. So the advice I have to, to people, the, the experience share, if you will, I think is a better way to describe it. Mm -hmm. When I am in a point of failure, if something's going wrong in the business, yes, it can hurt. Yes, it could lead to a couple of days of depression in bed and you can't get yourself out of bed. But when you're ready, take out a sheet of paper and start a list. As many things as you can that describe one, two, three things, whatever it is, good things that can come from this seemingly tough failure. And every time I do it, I'm always reminded, you know what, there are amazing things that, that can happen and amazing things that do happen that make the business 
or life much, much better as a result of that failure. And the easiest example, you know, so I, as, as a father of three young kids, I know one of my, my children was struggling with falling in, in ski lessons. And she kept saying to me, I hate ski lessons. I keep falling. And I'm like, falling? You're falling because you then get a chance to learn how not to fall and figure out how you can be stronger or why you fell. Ask mm-hmm. yourself questions and you've got to embrace falling. You know, as long as you're not breaking anything, embrace it. And, uh, you know, the end of the next ski lesson, my daughter comes up to me. She said, guess what? I fell today with a big smile on her face. You know, she's at a point now where, you know, she's an amazing skier and I can't remember the last time she's fallen, but we fall in business. We fall in life. What is the gift from that fall? Mm. It's a beautiful philosophy. It's a beautiful, beautiful approach. And I think probably a good place to end. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of, as you were talking, the, the, I guess it's a Bruce Lee quote when he's talking about be like water, right? It's you embrace, you just embrace, you just embrace it and you go with that flow and just know that to quote Napoleon Hill, find the, the seed of equal or greater benefit and whatever that quote unquote failure is. But, uh, mm-hmm. there, very good words, man. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I did? Oh, I'm sure we could talk for hours, but I've enjoyed your energy. I think you've asked some great questions. You've got me reflecting back into some of the stories that we've really enjoyed in building, not just 1-800-GOT-JUNK, but O2E brands and would never uh, trade a career in entrepreneurship for anything else. It's been a yeah. Hey, where, fun do, and- where do folks in the audience, because we, we also have pers- prospective franchisees, multi-unit operators and all that in, in, in the audience. So where do folks go to find more about the franchise opportunities that you have available? Thank you. Yeah, they would just go to O2EBrands.com. That's letter O, number two, letter E, brands, O2EBrands.com. And, you know, it's one of those things where we like people to go look and see if they might be interested and it might be a fit. And we've got a team of people that that uh, do interviews and screen outs to, to really make sure we find the right fit. You know, you and I clearly talked about the importance of finding the right people and treating them right. But it's a fun uh, pretty cool platform for for growing something when uh, when when it's the uh, the right fit on both sides. Love it. We will link to that in the show notes. Brian Scudamore, thank you so much for joining us today on Modern Business. You are invited back anytime, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan, and uh, hope you and your listeners all have a great day. Cheers. Bye.